0: <laughs> okay, if you have a Bible with you, open up to Acts chapter 17. So what began as a one-up message has evolved into a series of messages titled, The Powerless Place. Not what I had anticipated, but my heart is just to kind of follow where the Holy Spirit's leading. And, and so um, each week he's given me more on the topic and I've been uh, following We've looked at a bunch of very um, powerful scripture verses. We began with a look at 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where God says to the Apostle Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The following week we looked at, um, I examined the concept of what St. John on the cross called the dark night of the soul, and we looked at Mark chapter 14, With an emphasis on verses 35 and 36, which is Jesus' own prayer. It says, going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. In the third message on the series, we took a closer look at Jesus' kind. And merciful words in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, where Jesus says, Come to me, all ye who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, if I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How comforting are those words? Especially if you find yourself in a powerless place. In the fourth message on the series, we took a look at the call and the anointing of David to be king from 1 Samuel 16, especially the second half of verse 7b, um, where it says, the Lord does not look at things people look at, the Lord looks at the outward appearance. Excuse me. The Lord does not look at things people look at, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart. I I have this desire to expound as I read every single one of them, but I have another message to share today, and I already preached that one, so you can find it online. <coughs> but it stirs stuff in my heart. In the fifth message of the series, we looked at Jesus' word from, words from John 12, 24 and 25, where he said, Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. There's a difference between the world's way of doing things and God's kingdom way of doing things. In the sixth on the message uh, series on the message last week, um, we took a look at Psalm 23. I don't think I'd ever preached on Psalm 23 before, but we, I kind of took the the chapter, all six of the verses apart, piece by piece. With a special emphasis on on verse 4, where it says, Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll learn to read, I will feel no evil, (laughs) for you're with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I reminded you that when we're in the powerless place, We have a God who redeems and restores. One who leads us on a better path. Who doesn't abandon us, but is with us in the valley of the shadow of death. And he even feeds us there in the presence of our enemies. And he bestows upon us not guilt and shame, but goodness and mercy. That'll follow us all the days of our lives. And if that's not enough, he pursues us with his goodness and his unfailing love. Guys, we have a good father. We have a good, good father. Truly. And so today I feel led again to continue on the topic of the powerless place. And we're going to look at um, the Apostle Paul's words to the philosophers of Athens. And I'm specifically um, interested in Acts chapter 17, verse 26. But for the sake of continuity... Let's look at verses 24 to 28. When I preach, it's very important to me to share the word in context and not just cherry-pick things and speak on them out of context. So, follow along as I read, beginning of verse 24. The God who made the world, this is Paul speaking to the philosophers at Athens, right? The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. From any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Lord, I thank you for your word, for the truth that's in your word, for the power, the authority that's in your word. Use me today, I pray, to speak your word to your people in a way that will give them life. Make us more like you, O oh God. In Jesus' name. Okay, so what's the context uh, here? Um, Acts of the Apostles is an account of the early church. Chapters 1 through 8 cover some pretty significant pieces of the church's history. Uh, The birth of the church uh, at Pentecost, followed by some of the church's early growing pains on just how they were going to do what they did. Um, We look and read the account of both religious and political opposition that the early church faced at the hands of the Pharisees and the chief priests. They, they opposed Jesus, and, and now they're opposing Jesus' followers after his ascension. Chapter 7 and 8 speak to us about the martyrdom of Stephen. He, got, he was actually stoned to death by those chief priests and Pharisees. With the Apostle Paul in attendance really kind of being the ringleader of the whole thing. The martyrdom of Stephen followed by the persecution which came to the church. And it also, the church scattered. Everything was gathered in one place prior to it. But with the persecution kicked off by the the martyrdom, the stoning to death of Stephen, the church scattered. Chapter 9, the narrative changes we begin to see the story, uh, the life of Saul of Tarsus, who would later become known as Paul the Apostle. By chapter 17 of Acts, Paul is on his second missionary journey. And the chapter is basically offering some highlights of Paul's visits to Thessalonica, to Berea, and to Athens. In Athens, uh, Paul is expressing some distress about the idolatry that's uh, practiced there. And so Paul would meet with um, in the synagogues and in the marketplace. He would meet with people. He would meet with the Jews. He'd meet with God-fearing Greeks or Gentiles <clears throat> and the Gentile philosophers. According to verse 21 of chapter 17, philosophical debate was a popular activity in Athens. It says in verse 21, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. They loved having philosophical discussions about all things, including religion. By verse 22 and 23 of chapter 17, Paul stands up to address this group that he's, that have gathered and he's part of. So let us pick up uh, Paul's message to the Athenians at verse 24. I'll take each verse and kind of break it down for you like I usually do. So verse 24 says, The God who made, this is Paul speaking, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. You see, the Athenians, they worship many gods. Verse 16 tells us, that the city was filled with idols. Verse 23 tells us that they even had an altar set up with this inscription, to the unknown god. Right? So they had, And most of the, you know, what they, they worshipped were the Greek gods, and there were temples and there were statues to all the different gods of Greek mythology. But I guess just to have all the bases covered and make sure they didn't miss out on anything, well, let's have one, let's have one shrine built, an altar built, and we'll we'll have it dedicated to the unknown God, just in case we forgot somebody or we didn't have something covered. Well, Paul uses that as an introduction, as if to say to the Athenians, You have this temple to the unknown God. Let me introduce you. <laughs> and this is what he begins with in verse 24. He said, This is the God. Not a God, it's the God, the creator of all. And he's Lord over all, heavens and earth. And by the way, guys, he's not residing in any of these man-made buildings, shrines or temples that you've got scattered all over town. And not only this, he goes on, verse 25, speaking of God, he says, and he is not served by human hands. Do you realize this is in the New Testament? Are you guys paying attention? Some of y'all have been church for your whole life. Listen to verse 25. That's it, y'all. A little bit of that time in Texas must have stuck, huh? Get in my brain somewhere. This is what the Apostle Paul said. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. I don't know, if you, you know we used to carry Bibles. Remember back in the day we actually had printed pages? Right? I used to take notes in mine, I'd circle stuff, I'd highlight it. Man, this is a verse you need highlighted. You need a little star next to this one, little notes in the margin. Yes. Pastor Tom said blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Paul is flipping the Athenians' theology upside down. He's telling them that the God and the creator of all has zero need for human service. That the God we serve is not a taker, that he's a giver. And you know what? Jesus himself said this in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Now if you were like me as a young Christian, you had memorized all these scripture verses, this was usually one of them. It was for us, right babe? Maybe you too, Mark 10, 45. And the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus gave himself completely. He gives life. He gives actual breath. And get this. Verse 25, Acts 17. Not only does he give life and breath, which is more than enough, Paul goes on to say, and everything else, The New Living Translation says that he satisfies every need. The New English Translation of the Bible says he gives everything to everyone. Paul's telling the Athenians that our God has no need, not of their temples to dwell in, nor their sacrifices. And then he goes on to communicate how just all-powerful and all-sufficient our God is. Verse 26. From one man, this is the verse I really want to speak on today. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. There's a time and a place for you. There is a time and a place that Almighty God has set for you. Have you ever considered that you have a land? Listen to the worship this morning. There's something about islanders that respond so well to a fiddle. Right? It resonates in your soul. We Don't even think about it. I can feel the energy in the room rise up, get stirred up in people when you hear a fiddle. There's something in the land about this land that responds to that sound. That's a God thing. That's a God thing. There's there is a time and a place that God has said just for you. This is what the text says here. So Paul is telling these Athenians about how awesome and amazing our, our God is. That not only is our God the God, not only is he the creator of all, the Lord over all the heavens and the earth, and that he breathed humanity into existence. Genesis 2.7 tells us this. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. So from Adam along with Eve, God made all the nations of the earth. Why? That they would inhabit the glorious dwelling place that he created for them. And get this. Love this. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. Do you get how significant that is? God himself has marked out your where and your when. He's marked out your where and your when. God himself set your specific time in human history. He appointed your when. And God himself marked out the geographical boundary lines of where you would live in time and space. I read a footnote from the Passion Translation on verse 26, and it said this, that he commands the separation of the seasons and sets the lifespan of every human person. The footnote says that the Aramaic adds this interesting a nuance to the phrase that God himself commands the separation of the seasons and sets the lifespan of every human person. Now get this. Now get this. The God who loved you enough to perfectly set you in time and space is the God who knows all the seasons of your life. He knows the fruitful seasons of your life. He knows the barren seasons of your life. He knows the seasons of the powerful place. He knows the seasons of the powerless place. He knows all the seasons of your life. And the same God who knows your where and your when also knows your what and your why and your how. He knows why you were created. He knows what passions surge through your spirit. And get this, he absolutely knows how to get you there from here. He knows how to do it. So if you're in the powerless place today, if you're in the valley of the shadow of death, if you're in a dark night of the soul, know this. God knows exactly where you are. And he loves you extravagantly. And He knows the way out. If you're in a dark place, if you're in a painful place, if you're in a lonely place, and you can't see light at the end of the tunnel, He knows the way out. He knows the way out because He has set you in time and space. He's not only breathed life into you so that you exist, He has saved you from your sins. He has filled you with His very own Spirit. And He has marked your appointed time in history and the boundaries of your land. Be encouraged, my friends. Be encouraged. God is so much better than we thought He was. And why did God do all this? Paul goes on to explain in verses 27 and 28. God did this so that they would seek Him and perhaps reach out for him and find him? Though he's not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So why? Why all this? God did all this because he wanted relationship with you. Why did he do all this? So that perhaps you would seek for him and reach out for him. And in so doing, absolutely find him. God's not playing hide and seek with you. He's not hiding and making it difficult for you to find him. He's right there. The text tells us he's never far away. But what he wants in relationship with us is that we would seek him. He could make you do it, but that's not the way he designed things. That's not how love operates. He did it so that we would seek Him, reach out for Him, and find Him, not to be His slave, but His servant. Because you were not created to serve God. Listen to me today. Some of us who have been churched a long time, we even saw a lie. You were not created to be God's servant. You were created to be his son or his daughter. Now, we don't have servants anymore. But there's a vast difference of living in the house as a servant or living in the house as a son or a daughter. You were created to be his son and his daughter. You were created for friendship with him. Now, just imagine for a second, right? You want a billion dollars in Lotto Max or something, and you could actually have servants in the house. I don't think I could ever do that. But imagine you did, and a friend came over. You're going to have lunch with your friend. Are you going to treat your friend the same way you treat the servant in your house? Or is there going to be a marked difference? You're going to expect the servant to make the lunch, and to serve the lunch, and clean up from the lunch. Your friend's going to sit at the table and eat the lunch. You aren't created to serve God. After all, he is the all-powerful God of the universe. Paul's telling us here that God has no need for our service. God has zero need. He is so complete. He's so perfect. He's so absolutely all-powerful that there is zero need inside of our God. There's nothing he needed from us that he had to create servants to fulfill that need. Do you get it? But there's something he wants. And what he wants is you. He wants your heart. He wants your love for him. He wants friendship with you. And if you if you want someone to love you, if you you desire friendship, true, authentic, healthy relationship with someone else, you cannot demand it from them. You cannot require it of them. Right? That's all kinds of wrong. Right? You get like, you know, restraining orders for that kind of stuff. He wanted healthy relationship with us and that meant that at some level we had to choose Him. We had to want Him. We had to seek Him and find Him. And He had to make that optional for us. Otherwise we wouldn't be sons and daughters. We wouldn't be children. We wouldn't be friends of God. We would be servants. Or worse yet, slaves. Why did God do all this so that maybe, just maybe, you would desire Him as much as He desires you? Because you were created for deep, personal, intimate, experiential relationship with the all-powerful God of the universe. That's why Jesus came. God has reached out for us again and again and again. Throughout recorded history. He reached out for us in creation. He reached out for us in the incarnation. When the word became flesh and dwelt among us. When Jesus came to us. Do you see that? He didn't demand that we go to him. Matter of fact. When humanity tried to make a way up to God. The Tower of Babel. Didn't work out so good. That's not his design. That we would work hard to find our way to him. He comes to us so great is his desire. For a relationship. It's a weak example, but man, I pursued Nadine and pursued her and pursued her and pursued her until she finally said yes. That's what God does for you. That's how you got here today. You were running or hiding or whatever, and he your whole life. He's been pursuing you. And finally she said yes. <laughs> I say, I love you. She said, I like you very much. (laughs) I love you, I love you. I like you very much. She finally said, I love you back. I said, will you marry me? She's like, no. (laughs) I would not be deterred. Every day, I would ask her. Every single day, will you marry me? She finally said yes. I said, don't toy with me. (laughs) That's how it is with God. You, can't, you could not, I wore her down. She did not wear me down, right? God will wear you down with his love, with his affection, until you say yes, that you respond to his pursuit of you. There's a wonderful book, classic Christian book, called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. Anybody heard of that book? Man, it's a great book, okay? So here's a little story. This is years ago, before we ever left New York City. I'm working as a plumber at the Empire State Building. One of my favorite jobs I ever had. Loved working there. And um, I used to take my lunch hour and do different things. Sometimes I'd go on these towers, these platforms, are like the 90th floor, and I'd go outside and I'd pray over New York City. I would. I'd lay hands. I'd go up there and pray over Brooklyn and Queens, and I'd pray over New Jersey. I'd just pray, take all four sides and just, i go pray over the city. But sometimes it, was, it could not go up there. It was you know, too windy or too cold. And, or the weather wouldn't permit. And so I'd walk the streets. And I, you know, I didn't even know what I was doing back then. But I mean, at lunchtime in New York City, there's a sea of people, right? And so I would walk down the street and I'd say, Lord, just highlight somebody to me. Just, just you know, let them capture my attention. And I wouldn't interrupt them. I wouldn't say anything to them. It wasn't about me and them. And so we'd walking by and I'd see somebody. and I'd just begin to pray for them. I prayed for them until I felt like I had nothing else to pray. And I say, Lord, show me the next person. I prayed for them. It's funny, even now as I tell that story, I can remember some guy in a doorway just kind of like standing there. I really put it on my heart to pray for him. Lord, wherever that guy is right now today, touch his heart again and draw him close to you. It was a wonderful exercise. And God didn't give me revelation and insight into these people's lives. I just prayed for them. It was awesome. Those are the good days. When I was in a powerless place, One of those times where it's kind of hard to feel God or sense God, I decided to go out for a walk on my lunch hour, and there was this huge Christian bookstore. Um, I used to have an hour for lunch, and it took about 20 minutes to walk to the bookstore. So I knew I'd have 20 minutes in the store, and I got another 20 minutes back. And so the whole time I'm praying, Lord, if you're still up there, if you still exist, I need something, I need a book, I need a, a cassette tape, it's an old story, right? A cassette tape, I need something that shows me, you know, you're still there, and you're still in my life. And so I remember walking in the store, and they had to, as soon as you walk in the door, this big display for A.W. Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God. And I'm thinking, that's exactly what I need, I'm pursuing God right now, I need that book. So I pick it up, it was the first thing i seen. And then I walked around the whole store. Looking, still looking for the thing that God wants to give me. And I couldn't find anything else. I get to the checkout counter. I was like, oh, i got to put this book back. And I'm like, I like books. I collect books. I'll get it. So I buy the book. And the book rocked my world. I used to take the Long Island Railroad to and from work. And I can remember reading this book on the train. And I'm kind of using it to shield my face as the tears run down my face. I would cry. Because this is what I discovered in the book. I picked up the big book because I was pursuing God and discovered this. He's been pursuing me. That's the whole message of the book. The pursuit of God is God's pursuit of me. It's his pursuit of us. He's pursuing you wherever you are on the journey. Maybe today you're in a powerful place and you and God are walking hand in hand. And when he speaks, it sounds like he's whispering right into your ear. But maybe you're in that other place. And it feels like he's far away. And you feel lost. I want you to know he's just as close. And even if you're running, so great is his love for you. Undeterred, unoffended, he runs after you. We have a God who pursues. We have a God who not only created us for relationship, but initiates relationship and never, ever walks away from relationship. The Word of God says that when we're faithless, still He's faithful, because that's His nature. That's His character. That's how great His love is. So He's reached out for us in creation, in the Incarnation, and as well in Pentecost, with the, with the giving of the Holy Spirit. So much so does God want intimacy with you, that He created this, the capability that the Spirit of God could live inside of you. That's pretty intimate. Prior to that, the best that happened is people got to walk with Jesus. But he didn't live inside of them yet. And prior to Jesus, the best that could happen is every once in a while some anointed king or prophet would come on the scene. And people would get to hear about God. And maybe witness, through someone else's life, the actions of God. But that's all changed now with Pentecost. The Holy Spirit's available and you have access to the all-powerful, almighty, self-sufficient, entirely complete God of the universe to live and dwell inside of your own heart. Blows my mind. And every day since, even when we run from him, in the hope that we'll reach back, not because he's far from us, because he never has been, he never will be. Is the hope that we'll reach back and seek him and find him so relationship can be restored and can go on. Because we are indeed guys, we're the sons and daughters of God. We're not servants. We are not slaves. We're sons and daughters. It says in 1 John 3, chapter 1, see what great love The Father has lavished on us that we should be called sons and daughters of God. For that is what we are. So what's the application? Why did I pick Acts 17 verse 26 to this series on a powerless place? For this reason, guys. Because for all too often, when we go through a powerless place, and I've gone through mine, We feel lost. We feel lost. We feel lost in the powerless place. Anybody ever had a dream, and in the dream you're lost. No matter where you go, what you do, you're lost. Or maybe you're running late. You're feeling you're supposed to be somewhere else, but you're just lost. Or maybe you know everything you do to try and make it better only makes it worse. You get more and more lost. That's what it's like in a powerless place. Sometimes you just feel lost. We don't know where we are. And sometimes even if we do, we don't know why. We don't know how to get out of it. It's a horrible feeling, isn't it? It's been horrible for me when I've been there. Let me encourage you. I want to read just a a short paragraph from the book, The Shack. And this is a conversation between the, the main character, Mac that he's having with Jesus. Mac's hanging out with Jesus and this is the conversation they have. Mac speaks first. He says, Jesus, he whispered as his voice choked, I feel so lost. A hand reached out and squeezed his and didn't let go. I know Mac. But it's not true. I am with you and I am not lost. I feel sorry. I'm sorry it feels that way. But hear me clearly. You are not lost. Let me read that again for you. Let it sink into your heart. If you feel lost, if you're in a powerless place and as a result you feel lost, listen to Mac's words, to Jesus' words to Mac because it's his words to you. Jesus, Mac whispered as his voice choked, I feel so lost. A hand reached out and squeezed his. The hand of God reaches out to you. It squeezes yours and it holds on and he doesn't let go. Jesus responds to Mac and says, I know Mac, but it's not true. I'm with you and I'm not lost. I'm sorry it feels that way, but hear me clearly. You are not lost. I tell that to you today. That's my encouragement to you today. God's with you. The almighty, all-powerful God of the universe is with you. He's not lost. He knows exactly where you are. That's the message. This is what Acts 17, 26 confirms when it says, From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. He knows where you are. He knows when you are. And he's not lost. He's absolutely with you. And so you're not lost. It feels that way. I respect that it feels that way. I want to encourage you that even if you feel lost today, That our God is that good. That he's absolutely with you. Let those words comfort you today. But before we close in prayer, let me just make one more point. If God has not only marked out the appointed time in history for you to live, but also the boundaries of your land... You know what that means? That there's a land for you. That there's a place that you belong in. That Almighty God has set a place for you. And sometimes you live in a place and it fits like hand and glove. And sometimes you live in a place and it doesn't. That's not bad. That's telling you something. I believe that 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 truth is true from nation to nation. I believe it could be true from province to province or in the United States from state to state. We live in a bunch of states. Some states fit us. It was effortless. It was almost like our body resonated, vibrated, at the same frequency of the land we fit there was no dissonance there was harmony and then there were those other places so what do you do what if you don't what if you don't fit the land well guess what man you're not nailed to the ground <laughs> ask God for the land that fits you If he has a land for you, isn't that where you ought to be? If he has a land for you. I think that truth can be applied across the island. Some of you guys have lived all over this island. And some places feel like home. And some places don't. Now, you have to make this application for yourself. But I'm thinking that if he has set the geographical boundaries of the land that we're in, ought we not live in that land? Maybe we would be more fruitful in that land than any other land. I'm thinking yes. It's something to consider. Like my feeling right now in the spirit is that there's at least a few people here today that you feel like you're in transition. Or you feel a discontentment. And maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe it's one of God's ways of getting your attention. I don't feel content. I I don't feel like I'm hand in glove with the land. It doesn't feel like it resonates with me. And so maybe the discontentment isn't warfare. Maybe it's not attack. Maybe it's discernment. Maybe it's God revealing truth to you. And that there's a a land where you would better be. What if it's across town? And the house you're in doesn't suit you. I can remember Nadine and I, we've moved around a whole bunch. I remember many times shopping for houses. I was telling somebody this story recently. I think Jesse and Nicole. And we walk into a house and we're like, oh no. (laughs) We're not going to stay here. You 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 just feel something like something's not right. And then you walk into another house, and it's like, huh, this is right. This, this feels so much better. Remember, in West Virginia, we look for houses and shop for houses and shop for houses, and poor Nadine was getting so... I got to the point, I was like, you know what, honey, I'm not looking at any more houses. You go look for a house, you find something you like, let me know, I'll take a look. I think I was at work, and she calls me up from the kitchen of this house. Like, she loves to cook, right? It's like, I found it. this is the house It's awesome. This is the one I want. Okay, I'll come take a look. And I remember looking at the house from the outside. i thinking, eh, it's all right from the outside. Then I went in. And I was like, wow, this is a really nice house. And so we made an offer on the house, and they, and they had another buyer ready, and he just cried and cried. We prayed. The other buyer bailed out, like, in a day. And 17 days later, we were moving into that house. The sale went through. It was just right. We were in the right place at the right time. And that house fit us perfectly. It was amazing. We kind of went through the same cycle when we moved to Washington. Yeah, I gave up looking for houses there, too. Then we walked into this one house. And the kids are with us. They're a little bit older now. And we're walking around like, oh, man, this is the right place. And not long after, we owned that one as well. God's so good. Guys, he's got a place for you. It's obvious what time he's put you in because you're living and breathing and you're here right now. This is your time. This is your God-appointed time. Throughout all of human history, he said, now is the time for you. You don't really have much control over that, right? (laughs) You're conceived. (laughs) Mom gives birth. At At some point we pass and our time on this planet comes to an end. But we have a role to play in where? Right? And if that's true, and I believe that it is, ought we not be in the land that he created for us? Wouldn't that be something to pray about? What if we find ourselves in a powerless place or a dark night of the soul, a valley of the shadow of death, because we're not in the right place? And we don't fit where we are. And Almighty God has a better place for us and he's desperately trying to get our attention. Not allowing us to be satisfied and content in the place he had not designed for us. Wouldn't that be his kindness and his mercy and his grace? That's not punishment. That's God saying, have I picked out a place for you? I know you. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I live inside of you. Have I got a place for you? So none of that was in my notes. But let's pray. Oh God. Oh God. You who have set us in time. You who have set us in place. You've given us our individual where and when. Help us today. Help us today, oh God. Reveal our what and our why and our how. Lord, if some are struggling today because they're not in the right place, then I ask for your grace and for the work and moving of the power of your Holy Spirit to get each one into the right place that you've set for them. Do it, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would put us on, to, on the path to our God-given destiny. And Lord, I pray for those here today who feel lost. Remind us that you're with us. Remind us, oh God, that you're not lost and that you know where we are. And Lord, get us from this place to that much better place. So can I have the worship team come back up? So if you're here today, if this resonates with you, if the whole thing about being in the right place at the right time resonates with you. If you're in a powerless place, if you feel lost like Mac from the book In the Shack, if you're at a loss concerning your personal where and when and why and how, if you need encouragement today, then I invite you to come up for prayer uh, during the final song and we'll be happy to pray for you guys.